three, two, one. And we are live again on the Philip Duff Show. Welcome back, everybody. And this time, because it's terrible to have to listen to my voice for an hour at a time, I have an esteemed guest on here with me, uh, best-selling author, David Gluckman, author of That Shit Will Never Sell, and more importantly, somebody with a decades-long career creating brands that you might have heard of, like Bailey's and Tankery 10 and The Singleton, all of which you can read about in That Shit Will Never Sell. Get the ebook version. It comes with all sorts of multimedia links to old ads, videos, music, to bring the era of Le Piat d'Or uh, alive for you. So, David, joining us live from London, how the hell are you? Oh, great. Thank you very much. Lovely to see you again, Philip, as always. So, nice a couple night. of reasons. No, I was thinking the last time we met was on a very cold winter's morning. You'd come halfway across London and we had a coffee together. Anyway. Yeah, and there was a tube strike, so it wasn't entirely clear if I'd be able to get back across London. I remember that very clearly. Indeed, yes. Um, anyway, it was lovely to meet you and put a flesh to the face. It really was. So we are going to talk about non-alcoholics because you have just written uh, your second, I guess, controversial article about non-alcoholic spirits published in thedrum.com. I urge you all to look for it. We'll put the link in the show notes for this episode if you're listening as a podcast. And a few years ago, you wrote an article critical of non-alcoholic spirits for The Grocer, and it became the most read one they ever published, correct? It wasn't The Grocer. The magazine was called The Buyer. The Buyer. And it's a drinks magazine, yes. Yeah. And he said he couldn't believe how many um, people had read it and how long they'd spent on it. And I was simply just amazed at a drink called Seedlip for which I paid £56 for two bottles. And it has no alcohol in it, and it just seemed to be a ridiculously expensive price. I mean, I've since spoken to the author, Ben Branson, who's a delightful man, mm -hmm. and I think we got on very well, but um, he's been hugely successful. Good luck to him. Yeah, well, I regular readers will know I like to start off by pouring myself a drink. Uh, I haven't been doing it lately because I did dry January, which, to be fully honest, was damper for me than it has been in years. But I have got a bottle of The Pathfinder here, which is a non-alcoholic Amaro created by uh, the man behind successes that other people have heard of, like Hendrix Gin and Sailor Jerry Rum, Tamworth mm -hmm. Distilling. And as you know, I think, David, there's a chain of non-alcoholic liquor stores in New York and L.A. called Boisson. And I popped yeah. in recently and I saw it and I'm like, oh, great. I'll buy, I'll buy that. I'm very interested to see uh, what they've done with the liquid and the branding. And if you can see it, branding's amazing. It's really, mm. you know, intricate and quirky and fun and different. And Stephen Grass details a lot of how he created it in uh, his book, just written and out now, called Brand Mysticism. With I have read it, yes. Right, so you know. So I'm like, it's brilliant. Non-alcoholic Amaro, not the first one. Um, 46 American dollars this cost me. Uh, so you better be sure I'm going to drink every drop of this and get value for money. But that is going to be my drink of choice for this podcast, which brings us on to the first order of business, which is, the price is very contentious when it comes to non-alcoholic spirits, isn't it? Well, I, I think it, it became clear to me. I mean, the obvious way to go with something like this would be non-alcoholic 
gin and uh, gin. So before Christmas, I went out and bought a bottle of um, non zero percent Gordon's gin in a supermarket in London. It cost twelve pounds, and um, alongside it on the shelf was forty percent ABV Gordon's, which cost thirteen pounds. And I tried it, and I thought thought about it, and thought, well, I'm paying thirteen twelve pounds for basically gin-flavoured water. And it seemed ridiculous. And I think that, to me, the whole concept of the market is upside down. In other words, I think what the market is should be asking for are added-value soft drinks. So, in other words, gin-flavoured tonic makes a hell of a lot more sense at an inflated price for tonic than gin-flavoured water at a grossly inflated price for water, if you see what I mean. I think you've hit on something really important there, David, which is how the companies are framing their proposition for non-alc. So we've only had non-alcoholic spirits for about seven years, right? I first saw mine when Ben Branson himself gave me a little tasting of Seedlip at Bar Convent mm-hmm. in Berlin. And they burst onto the scene. And I think we have to make a differentiation between the the seed lips of this world that aren't saying they're a gin. They're not saying they're a tequila or a whiskey. They're saying, well, we're seed lip. You know, we're a non-alcoholic spirit. We're not trying to emulate anyone. And then there are people such as, you mentioned them in your article, Liars, the of origin Australian company, and they've got two non-alcoholic rums, two non-alcoholic tequilas, a non-alcoholic gin, a non-alcoholic... They're going for straight up uh, one-on-one manipulation. But by saying we're non-alcoholic spirits, that, I think, gives the consumer the frame like, well, you know, a bottle of spirits costs $25 or £12 or whatever. So Mm -hmm. if this is about that price, I'll pay it. If you think about it, it's a genius way to maximize the amount of money that people will happily spend. But to me, it just doesn't make, it makes no sense. I mean, I I, I met the Liars guys and I tried their products. And I think they're very nice. They're very good tasting. But then if you reduce it down to the hard reality of it, if you want to make a cocktail, generally speaking, a cocktail consists of two drinks added or three ingredients, more than than one anyway. To buy, you have to buy two bottles of Liars, which in, in the UK cost £23 each. So you're in the hole for £46. And then you have to buy Elderflower Cordial, which is another fiver. So for £50 uh, before you make your first cocktail, and that's a, it's a heavy burden. And it's, a, it's much easier to contemplate it in terms of adding value to soft drinks. To me, it's an adult soft drink play, not something else. I mean, that makes more sense. And I went there in the in the 80s with a brand in the UK called Aqualibra, which was incredibly successful. But our target model was Perrier. Mm. And Perrier was selling for 69 pence for uh, 70, 75 CLs. So we produced a product that was £1.79 for 70 CLs. And um, that made sense. That was bearable. That was affordable. We weren't getting into 
the kind of la-la land of spirit pricing. And, and, and not only spirit pricing, but premium, super premium spirit. And what can you get for $49 with the product you're drinking now? What's the best thing you can get in a New York store for 49 bucks? Oh, for 49 bucks, you're getting exquisite eight-year-old bottled and bond whiskey. You know, you, yeah. could, you could get one of the more inexpensive Scotch single malts, like $50, $50 will get you something very decent. Well, exactly. So, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, in, in fact, Pathfinder, one of the founders is a very good friend of mine, a guy I worked with at Diageo for many years, called Guy Eskimo. And he asked me, and I just said that the product's too expensive. As simple as that. And, and, and the issue, I, a lot of people send me products. One guy sent me a product the other day, and it was absolutely exquisite, very good tasting, uh, aperitif type product. And he said, well, would you buy it? And I said, no, I wouldn't, because it was twice the price of Aperol. Uh, you know, and it didn't have any alcohol in, so I wouldn't buy it again. I don't think the products are good enough. And my first experience of Seedlip, I went into a bar and ordered one, and they said, do you have to have tonic with it? And I said, why? I want to taste it. And that was, the, 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 you know, the tonic ads say that 75% of the taste of the gin and tonic is the tonic. That's debatable, but it may be quantifiable in some way. Uh, so I'm paying for something that has an undertaste of, um, of um, I don't know, nothing at all. I tasted another product the other day which contained a little bit of cider vinegar. And I thought, what would happen if I took an eyedropper and put cider vinegar into a tonic? Get the same effect, really. And Thank I you. like the... Um, but I mean, it's, it's all very well to slag off a category. That's why I wrote my article, because I like to come up with an alternative solution to this. That's why I think people like Coke should get into it. People like Fevertree should get into it, because it's a logical extension of their business. And, you know, you could just make soft drinks a whole lot different. And well, I quite like the Angostura play as well. Because, you know, quite often I would have Angostura, three drops of Angostura with tonic, and that would totally transform the product because at 44% ABV, it's delivering quite a strong flavor hit. And um, you could do that for almost anything. I think it's what true. You... And there is an Angostura premixed um, cocktail, believe it or not, on the market. It's called uh -huh. LLB, and you get it in a can. And it just arose after a very popular drink in Australia, I believe, which was lemonade, lime and bitters. You make a lemonade, either fresh mm -hmm. or from the gun, and you just dash in about eight dashes of Angostura and it tastes absolutely spectacular. It's very refreshing. It's a completely acceptable drink in Australia, which is quite a macho culture if you're not drinking. Yeah. Um, so you've hit on something there. But again, it's early days with non-alcoholics, right? Are they going to get better? Because you have the liars range now, uh, which emulate well-known things. You know, they try to emulate whiskey and rum and gin and tequila and Aperol and all that. Their canned cocktails are really, really good. But presumably, 
their scientists and everyone else's scientists are going to keep getting better. So do you think we're going to get close to something that really does taste like alcohol? I, I, I'm not sure that you have to do that um, in a sense. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you could take a tonic and add gin botanicals to it and get a, an expert gin guy to produce it for you that simulates the taste. Of, people were looking for adult soft drinks, things that aren't boring, things that have got a bit of challenge in them to make them um, interesting over the session or an evening. Um, I don't think these products will ever get more logical because you could ask yourself the question, are you going to buy these products um, on a regular basis? And I, I don't think I am. Have you heard of um, Alcaret? No. It's very interesting. For about, I think he was only in the job for about a year. But there's a guy in England called Professor David Nutt. David Nutt, yeah, no, I've, heard, I've met him, in fact. Yeah, unfortunate name for a professor, but there you go. And, <laughs> He's a he, delightful man and, and very eminent in his field. Well, he was even the drug czar of the UK for about yeah. a year. And then they fired him because his, his ideas were radical. Like he really wanted to decriminalize hard drugs and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. he's been working, he formed a company. Uh, to create, it's a business-to-business -business idea. They're trying to create additives that you could add to uh, a drink to give the sensation of being drunk without having to ingest alcohol. And they've come out with, there's one product they have already on the called market. Sent it's called Sentia. That's it. That's it. And the additive that they will sell, presumably to drinks companies or whatever, is called mm -hmm. Al Alcaret. Um, yeah. It still needs a bit more testing. But imagine if you added Alcaret to this, for instance. This has all the attributes of an Amaro, which I might very well normally drink. And if it gave yeah. me that warm, fuzzy feeling, but without any of the potential damage that drinking alcohol has, well, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? It might be. In fact, I, I tried Sentia with a friend, and we, we knocked back a few... Um, well, about half a bottle between us over lunch one day. And the only effect it had on me was that we, 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 we in fact, we both felt very sleepy, which I'm not sure was, I'm not sure <laughs> was a very good, good thing to go out and drive a car. But that may have been us. Um, it didn't have the kind of enlivening feel that um, a good drink might have. Well, again, uh, the technology will presumably improve. As, as time goes on. Well, but why bother? Well, you get to sell an extra product, right? You know, the non-alcoholics are getting a lot of investment now. And something you said earlier is, I think, very important to realize. There aren't really good numbers on how much these brands are selling. And more importantly, on their repeat sales. Because with the exception of Seedlip, they're pretty much all owned by private companies. Yeah. I think in the next few years, we're going to see a lot of data coming out because there's so much money in the space. It's being pushed out. They're hiring teams of sales staff and ambassadors and marketing people and launching in this country and launching in this country, sponsoring this and doing that. But the actual sales, whereby the consumer pulls out of the supply chain, I suspect are lagging. 
Well, I think you may be right. I mean, I think the, the essence of all these things is repeat purchase, and you have to ask yourself when you try any of these products, would I honestly buy them again? And can I see a function for them? And, I mean, I I went to a a um, no-low-alcohol summit a couple of years back. I went as a journalist, which was very frustrating because I couldn't say anything. I just had to listen. But it was a little bit like a kind of uh, temperance meeting. <laughs> uh, you know, there was a kind of feeling against alcohol. And I think that my feeling is that people want to just drink less from time to time. They want to take back control, if you like, to coin a phrase. They, they don't want to give up. I mean, people who want to give up alcohol are people who have an alcohol problem, and they should never go anywhere near alcohol. They shouldn't have been looking for things that look as if they might be alcohol because it could leave them back into the into the fold. But these are a special case and a sad case. In most most cases, people just want to – I mean, that, that wine idea that I wrote in the article, saying what happens if you produce a 5% wine? 5% would give you enough cojones to you know, make you feel it. But 5% would be the equivalent of drinking a pint of beer. So two of you can go and have a full-bodied red wine that, you know, had no more alcohol than a pint of beer. That makes sense to me. It's like I've often thought that if I was attacking the beer market, I'd look at the grape opportunity. What would happen if you produced a sparkling wine that was 3% or 3.5% alcohol so you could actually glug it down in pints? Pints there are some of wine. people. Hmm? A pint of wine. Yeah, you could you could actually drink it in pints because the the relationship between volume and the volume you drink and the percentage alcohol would be different. You know, the um, it would be shifted. I think there are loads of opportunities which are pretty close to home. And um, I mean, I'd love to have a say three percent wine, which I could drink by the pint because I really don't like beer. And, um, you know, there are opportunities without trying this. And, and this thing has become, I don't know, like a feeding frenzy. Everybody's copying everybody else. Everybody is, 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 is offering the same type of product. I mean, now the big buzzword is functional. Mm. You know, as, as Dr. Nutt has said, he's going to produce functional drinks. Um. Well, maybe that'll work, maybe it won't. Well, if anyone's going to do it, it's probably him. But let's look at this from a little angle that I know you have a lot of experience with. If you look through the lens of luxury marketing, luxury spirits marketing at non-alcoholics, it does seem to make a bit more sense. Because if you're one of the ways that people show status, right, they consume ostentatiously, is by ordering luxury spirits brands, right? They show their knowledge, their connoisseurship by, you know, paying over the odds for an exquisite aged tequila or this mm -hmm. whiskey or whatever. And there's major inroads to try and create luxury gin these days with the likes of Procera gin and... Um, uh, Monkey 47, which costs like vast amounts of money for uh, a shot or a bottle. 
there was nothing in the non-alcoholic space. If you were out with your mates and you didn't want to drink, you almost don't get to participate because, you know, a tonic water is going to be, you know, a couple of dollars or something like that. And everyone else is drinking $17 cocktails. So do, is oh, that... You, you were saying last night in your podcast with Will Keating that cocktails are $30 now, oh, not God, 17 Yeah, yeah. And, no, there's a bar, a very excellent bar, with a whole menu of $17 cocktails here in New York, all non-alcoholic, mm -hmm. all with name brand non-alcoholic spirits. Mm -hmm. So when you add in the tax and the tip, which is yeah. not an option in the U.S., you got to pay the tip. You're looking at $25 non-alcoholic cocktails. Yeah. It's... So are non-alcoholic spirits luxury marketing? I don't know. I mean, I suppose the, 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 the strangest luxury product I came across was about four years ago, I gave a talk at a university in London. There was a guy sitting in the front row, and he said, is there any chance we could have a chat? So I said, yeah, I'll meet you tomorrow for a coffee. And he was an Iranian financier. He was financing a couple of young French guys who had produced the world's first champagne infused with um, caviar, would you believe? All right. And um, I said, oh, how much is it? You know, any chance that you're giving me a bottle? Absolutely no chance whatsoever because it was twelve hundred pounds per bottle. Um, so that's that's pretty high end actually. I, I, actually, I can't remember the name, but I'll I'll find it somewhere and, and and let you know. And they asked me if I could look over their brochure and make any suggestion. And I seem to remember that they said that they're. Um, champagne was infused with both, both Bulgarian and beluga caviar. And I said, don't put that. I said, you know, if people see that, they will think it's 95% Bulgarian and 5% beluga. I said, you know, you, you should, if you're paying £1,200 a bottle, uh, you should have, it should be all beluga. Uh, but I, it's hard to see the high-end thing. I mean, I suppose there's no accounting for what people will buy. And it's so outside it's so outside my um my line of sight that I wouldn't begin to imagine a thirty dollar soft drink. I mean trust me, I'm only being the, the devil's advocate here. Yeah. And to return to the very first point that we made, there is a big sort of amount of wool being pulled over people's eyes. Every non-alcoholic producer has their own story about why it's so expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And none of them, I haven't seen a single one that's true. Uh, you know, I am in the business of creating brands for clients, among other things, and I've created yeah. my own brand. So I know what bottles cost. I know what labels cost. I know what it costs to make stuff. Yeah. Now, even making regular alcohol isn't that expensive, right? If you happen to be watching this show and you're not from the spirits business, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Almost without exception, the bottle costs more than the liquid inside it. That's just how it goes, yeah. right? And not, then what costs most is the consultancy that you pay for in order to get where you get. That's you and me, David. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, are, we are, yes. And if, if you're listening, brands, myself and David are available for hire, individually or as a team. 
Um, but returning, I've got to- a great idea. I'll tell you after the show. All right, great. Well, tune in. Tune into the next episode for uh, David's great <laughs> idea. But what they all say is like they're lying to the customer. They really are. Now, a certain degree of sharp practice is almost expected of marketers, and I say that as someone with a marketing degree. But the whole thing, like, oh. We have to use more botanicals. Well, botanicals are bloody cheap. Oh, we have to make the alcohol and then remove the alcohol. And I'm like, that's just an industrial process. It costs fuck all. And then you've got some alcohol as well, which you can sell. It's not like you're pouring it down the drain. At least I hope not. Well, that's also an utterly stupid thing to do. Yeah. I mean, you could simply take some water and add some botanicals, and then you have um, non-alcoholic gin. Allegedly. Do you want to hear something interesting, David, that um, only occurred to me recently? Uh, it was dry January, and I'm very fortunate. We've got like a absolute metric shit ton of non-alcoholic various things. We've got almost the whole Liars range. I got this uh, Pathfinder Amaro. We've got amazing bottled non-alcoholic Negronis from the Brooklyn distillery, mm-hmm. St. Agrestus, the phony Negronis, as they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at some of the non-alcoholic spirit bottles, and they had best before dates on them. Yeah, that that, 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 that is amazing. Um, that they have very short shelf life. Well, I was at an event in Milan, of all places, a week or two ago, and the partner of a friend of mine was there as well. Kiki, uh, her partner Bob has created the Athens Bar Show and some of the bar shows as well. And she was she came along. We all knew her; it was great. And she's a food scientist. And I said, yeah, I've seen best before dates on these bottles. What's What gives? And she says, well, depending which country, they might be classified as a food product. And you have to put a best before date on anyway, right? There's yeah. a theme you can see on the um, internet. Somebody took a photo of a, five mil- a bag of 5 million year old Himalayan salt that had a best before date on it. And he captured it. <laughs> Oh damn! My my five million year old salt just expired. <laughs> but <laughs> I was texting with a friend of mine who owns a great non alcoholic spirit brand. I know it sounds contradictory uh, that you and me have been slacking them off. This is a particularly good one. And I asked him, like, while I have you here, do they do they go off or are they just required to put a best before date on? He said, no, no, it really is best before. Because this is obviously quite self-evident, there's no alcohol to stabilize them, so the flavors change and fade faster. He said, "Think about a non-alcoholic spirit, like a vermouth. Vermouth goes off really quick if you don't Mm -hmm. put it in the fridge. It's got the shelf life of, it's got a bit more shelf life than wine." He said, "Think Mm -hmm. of it as sped up vermouth." And Mm -hmm. as I said, I've got a cupboard full of these now with some of them are out of date. So I'm going to do a little side by side. But it's something else you think. If these marketers have framed the non-alcoholic spirits as spirits, they get to be in the bars and the back bars and the uh, non-alcoholic liquor stores. They get to charge high prices. But they have perhaps, perhaps challenges with quality. And definitely if you paid 25 or 40 pounds for a bottle of this and you just don't happen to touch it, for a few months, uh, it would sting a bit if the quality had gone downhill. 
And the alternative to that, which doesn't actually play in this um, health-conscious age, is to add preservatives. Like vodka. Which you, which you don't want to do, because um, that, that product you've got there, Pathfinder, has that got a best-before date? That's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you, there's everything else on the damn label. The label's amazing. If you're listening, Steve, top work. No. No? It's got a manufactured in the UK, incidentally. It's got a... Oh, it does. It says, see the bottle. Once opened, drink within 12 months. So there might well, be a... Sorry. There might that's be a... Good. Yeah, the lot... Oh, here we go. Uh, best before uh, 1st of February 2024. So I've got a year. More yeah, or less. That's, pretty, that's pretty good. It, it is good. But it is yet another thing whereby these diverge from regular spirits. You know, you buy a bottle of spirits, I've got a cupboard full of stuff that's ancient at this stage, and it stays the same. Like, are we due a reckoning? Is, are, you know, is a great unwashed consumer going to rise up as one at some point in the future and say, we don't want to be lied to, uh, we want good products at good prices? You know? Because I don't think these are going away. I don't think people are lying. I mean, I think people are simply offering an alternative, which is a like a surrogate, if you like. And um, I don't think it's a lie. But I mean, the, the, the only thing that doesn't doesn't play for me is it costs. They cost too much money. They cost a ridiculous amount of money, an unnecessary large amount. That's why I came up with the two suggestions for the future. Look at super concentrates. Because it doesn't matter if you have a little alcohol. That's not what people are concerned about. I mean, two drops of um, Angostura, and if you're an alcoholic, it get, get set you back on the road to ruin. And you don't want that. But that, that's not your market. Your market are people who drink alcohol but want to drink less and control it more, that's all. And I think these products are just ridiculously priced. And I know I'm, I'm I'm not a young trendy, but but I can't see the sense in people spending that money to buy those products. There's a better way, and there must be innovative, adventurous people out there who have a go. That's what I'm trying to stimulate. Well, the funny thing is, um, you and me were emailing about this uh, not so long ago. I was actually in Milan at the time. There are people doing it, but when a lot of brands make gin, they actually start off by making a super concentrate with the so-called yeah. uh, two-shot method. So they load into the still not mm -hmm. enough botanicals for one batch, but maybe enough for 20 batches. And they mm -hmm. make super concentrated gin that they can then dilute down with yeah. uh, more neutral alcohol with that. And Heyman's gin in the UK have actually yeah. done this. Mm -hmm. They made a gin. I think they call it small gin. And mm -hmm. the, the trick is it comes with a little teaspoon. So it's a little bottle mm -hmm. too. It comes with a little teaspoon. And you add a teaspoonful, five milliliters, one-sixth of an ounce, uh, to your tonic water. And you get, according to them, a very nice gin and tonic. Now, mm -hmm. you know, again, vanishingly low uh percentage of alcohol in the overall drink mm -hmm. but the gin itself is you know alcoholic it's strong mm -hmm. i think it's somewhere between 40 and 50 but you only need to use a little bit which brings us back to your suggestion 
so how much? I mean, that's uh, that's taking the Angostura root, the super concentrated product, which you dilute down with water, uh, and which will give you the or dilute down with tonic or something like that. Uh, I think that makes sense. It makes economic sense for consumers. And I mean, I think I think that feeding frenzy up the market with these very high priced products ain't going to last. One, one hopes that um, consumers see the light. Well, I don't know if we're deck chairs in the Titanic or, you know, shaking our fists at the sky, demanding that the young kids get off our lawn. I suppose one thing about it that's changed a lot as well is that people are very, very used to shopping online now and getting stuff delivered straight to their house. Yeah. And even... Five years ago, it wouldn't be particularly normal to buy alcohol online. You'd want to go into a supermarket in the UK or a liquor store over here, you know, have a look around, maybe ask for a recommendation. But now you can buy online increasingly in the US, definitely everywhere in the world. Some of the most important sales channels for some brands in the UK are Amazon. And of course, these non-alcoholics have it even easier. They don't have to really conform to any regulation. They can sell anywhere on any website. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of digital native uh, non-alc brands out there. In fact, the Diageo incubator, Distill Ventures, at one stage, 25% of its investments was in non-alcs. And yeah. they were increasingly steering several of them as digitally native that were born and raised and pretty much only available online. Yeah. And you would read, you know, they would use online advertising to reach out to uh, to people. So that's something else, I suppose, not to forget. In addition to the traditional, you know, liquor stores and and bars and and whatnot, it's another way in which people are paying for these, and another way in which. The price is being framed and explained, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, I wonder how many people picked up a bottle of so-called non-alcoholic gin, thinking it was the real thing, took it home, served it with tonic, and uh, were very surprised by the result. There must have been a few mistakes back in the day. Well, the packaging is extremely similar for Gordon's 0% and the regular stuff, and Tanqueray 0% and the regular stuff, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, the one product that I would like to taste and haven't is 0% Guinness. Have you tried it? I haven't and I won't because I am the Irishman who's not a Guinness drinker. Don't tell uh, Padraig from the Business of Beverages podcast. He's the brand ambassador. But um, I do know some real fervent pinters uh, who adore Guinness, and they tell me that it's superb, the 0%. Well, I think that, the, as I said in my article, I think the gap between zero and five isn't quite as dramatic as the gap between zero and 40, or even in the case of wine, zero and 14, or 12, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you can make up for the absence of alcohol with an increase in bitterness, for example. Mm-hmm. With the beer. I think the beer products are quite satisfactory. Yeah, non-alcoholic beers are excellent. I love um, Athletic Brewing. It's a New York company, and they do it all right. They have a beer club. They ship direct to consumers. They do special limited releases, and the quality is stunning, really. Very, very good. But That's that's another hang-up of mine, I think, which 
I, I attended a conference in Leuven last year with Will Keating and his Merry Men, and I suppose I don't like beer much. And I think with the trouble with beer at the top end of the market is that everybody is trying to be like everybody else. In other words, everybody's trying to be like Budweiser and Heineken. And there's an incredible homogenization of flavor at the top end of the beer market. And I remember this going back to the project I worked on with Richard Branson back in 1990. He wanted to do virgin lager. And I said to him, well, don't you think it would be a good idea to differentiate? Because virgin is innovative and experimental and different. And he said, no, as far as I'm concerned, as long as I can match the flavor of Budweiser, the virgin brand will carry it. And luckily for everybody, I think he didn't do it. But I think the same thing applies with non-alcoholic beers. It's time now to differentiate them rather than to try and make them all taste like Lucky Saint or whatever the, the world leader is. Well, beer and sparkling um, wine have an added advantage. Like, There's a great brand called um, Naughty, N-O-U-G-H-T-Y. Yeah, yeah, I met the lady. Yeah, Thompson and Scott or something like that. And their their wines are very nice, but their best one is their sparkling rosé. Yeah. And because that carbonation helps fool your tongue, for want of a better phrase. You get a little bit of the same prickle uh that yeah. you get with uh alcohol, with ethanol. In the case of ethanol, it's it's a pain receptor on your tongue. Yeah. And this phony Negroni that I like drinking, it comes in um a crown cork bottle, a very beautiful little bottle that mm-hmm. I know they use for their alcoholic Negronis that they sell and other things. Mm-hmm. And I'd been drinking them for about two weeks before I realized the non-alcoholic Negroni was very slightly carbonated. And okay. that little fizz on the tongue is right. contributes to a mouthfeel that's, that's really, really clever. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a carbonated product, You've got a limited amount of things, like a lot of the non-alks add in um, pepper some way, like capsaicin, to stimulate that pain receptor on the tongue and combine that Mm. with like the aroma of tequila, the aroma of rum. And you're like, all right. And some of them do better and some of them do worse, obviously. But I think the science is going to improve because there's money in the sector, whether it's being pushed in or pulled out. And with people like Dr. Nutt around, you might be able to get out and, and get, you know, get sloshed and feel sloshed and yet be totally sober. Or on the other hand, maybe you just feel sleepy after having a couple of these uh, futuristic drinks. Yeah, very likely. <laughs> no, it's a fascinating area. And um, I suppose my interest is just seeing if you can do it better. I mean, I spent my whole life with a gun at my head saying, Whatever you're doing, you have to find a way of doing it better. And, um, you know, here's a lovely opportunity. So I want to keep my hand in. But one of the points earlier, which I think was interesting, is that I can see logic in a super premium non-alcoholic cocktail produced by a bartender. Because that's intelligence intensive and it's labor intensive. So if somebody puts, I remember as a kid, my, my uncle took me to his golf club. I was 14 and he ordered a gin and tonic or something. And he said, what would you like? And he 
introduced me to a drink which was called a steelworks. Now, this was a cocktail of some kind. I don't know what the ingredients were. It didn't taste immediately lovable. It was slightly challenging, but I felt like a real grown-up drinking this thing. And it was purely non-alcoholic. So I think, um, you know, that on the bartender side, if you produce something complex and interesting and difficult, you, you're entitled to charge a lot of money for it. But I don't think when you come home, you should be paying that kind of money. Well, that's an interesting one. Well, look, I think we've covered everything now, uh, David. For anyone who's watching, definitely get the ebook on Amazon of That Shit Will Never Sell by David Gluckman and enjoy clicking through all the links and music and whatnot, as well as reading about David's incredible career. The book's been extensively updated since it first came out a few years ago. So if you already have it, it's still worth buying again. I also recommend you read David's article in uh, The Drum com, which expands on all of this. You get the free use of his collected heavy wisdom and some excellent new suggestions for non-alks. I'm going to keep making uh, these podcasts and putting them out there. So please like and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter. That's P-H-I-L-I-P Duff on Twitter. P-H-I-L-I-P-D-U-F-F. It's the same on Instagram, except there's an S for Stephen in between the Philip and the Duff. So on Instagram, it's P-H-I-L-I-P-S-D-U-F-F on Instagram. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. David, it's been a real pleasure sharing a drink and more importantly, a chat and a lot of ideas with you. So please keep writing, keep talking, and I hope we'll be able to see you in a bar one of these days so we can catch up in a more uh, natural manner. That would be great. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's lovely as ever to see you. And catch you again soon. Cheers, David. Bye. <laughs>